what is uh, my distinct privilege to to kick off kind of a, a new series uh, for us today. We actually have been sort of in one big series this entire year. Each month we've been uh, looking at the different things that God calls us as a church to do. We kicked it off in January with talking about worship and how we're called to be a people of worship. In February we, we talked about the Word, that we're a people of the Word and we're called to learn from and study this Bible. We talked about evangelism in March and how we're called not simply to love God and love each other, but we're called to share that love with the world, to go. And then last month we spent talking about community and we looked at the example of the early church and how we're called to be a community. Really, really, in a sense, called to be a team. And I want to kind of focus on that team aspect today as we kick off this series on serving. Because I firmly believe that God has you at Advent for a specific reason. There's a role for you to play on the team here at Advent. A role for all of us. And so I started thinking about teams, and I thought, you know, what's the greatest team ever assembled? And obviously it's the Miami Dolphins. But aside from that, probably the greatest team ever is the Dream Team, the 1992 um, Dream Team, right? And so maybe you remember this, this team, right? You remember, and what you might not remember is some of the backstory and some of the challenges they faced. But you look at this team, right? Here we have Patrick Ewing. Magic Johnson, David Robinson, Christian Leitner, who should have never made the team, but that's another story. Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, Chris Mullen, Clyde Drexler, John Stockton, Scottie Pippen, coached by Chuck Daly. Eleven future Hall of Famers on that team. Three Hall of Fame coaches as part of that team. And kind of the background that led to this was what happened in 1988, right? In 1988, we're still in the midst of the Cold War with the Soviet Union, with Russia, right? And we lost. We lost in basketball to the Soviet Union. Why are you not upset more? We lost, right? I mean, we upset them. We beat them in 1980 in hockey, which is not even our sport. 1988, we lose to the Soviet Union in basketball. We invented basketball. Right? And so, we're like, that's not happening again. The NBA players are going to start playing. And so there was a big vote and NBA players were allowed to play. Russia's like, I don't think they should be allowed to play. We're like, yeah, we're going to play. We're going to beat you. Right? And so, in 1992, we didn't lose. We didn't get take home any bronze medals like we did in 88. We won by an average of 44 points a game. 44 points a game. Let that sink in. If you're a basketball fan, you might score around 100. Maybe if you're, you know, a really good game, 120 points in a game. We won by 44 points a game. Greatest team ever assembled. I mean, I mean, it was amazing. And yet, for this to work, all kinds of things had to come together. Number one, there was, there was kind of this budding rivalry, right? Um, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, in a lot of ways, saved the NBA. They came in when the NBA was down two bright stars, and they developed this rivalry, Celtics versus Lakers, right? And, and they won the championship almost every year. Seven years prior to this team coming together in 1991, um, Larry Bird won three MVPs, Magic Johnson won three MVPs, some other young guy by the name of Michael Jordan won one, right? This newcomer. 
And so there was this rivalry, like, who, who's really in charge? Michael Jordan had just won his first NBA championship in 1991. He was this bright, upcoming new star. But still, the face of the NBA was still somewhat Magic and Larry. Larry Bird was injured. He had a bad back by that time. Magic Johnson, if you remember, in 1991, retired from the NBA because he had become HIV positive. So you had this sort of rivalry going on. In fact, um, famously, if you've watched any of the documentaries, every day in practice, it was Magic's team versus Michael's team. And they would assemble teams, and they would go at it. I mean, they went at it so hard, they usually played every day until someone was bleeding. And then they'd stop. It's this incredible rivalry, and these are guys that were working against each other, and somehow they had to come together. See, because the thing about teams is, teams are effective because they have a common goal. Right? Our, our team here at Advent, we have this common goal. We say it this way, we say love is why we're here. So we're called to love God, to love each other, and to share that love with the world. We want to share that love with the world so well that, that people who hear that message are then in turn sharing the love of the world. It's this ministry of multiplication. We have that as our goal. And when we work together as a team to do that, it's this beautiful and amazing thing. And so on this team, they had to overcome rivalries. Isaiah Thomas probably should have been on this team. He deserved to be on this team. But Michael Jordan said, I don't like Isaiah Thomas. His bad boy Pistons keep beating us. If he's on the team, I'm not playing. Michael Jordan won that argument. (laughs) And so they had all these, and Chuck Daly did this masterful job of getting them to put aside their egos and to come together with this common goal of winning. And boy, did they win. 44 points a game. You see, the other thing is, is when teams come together, not only do they have a goal in mind, an end goal, but they have a purpose, a reason. Our purpose at Advent is clear. Our purpose is, is because of Jesus, because, oh, how he loves us. Because Jesus loves us so much, we want, we can't help, we get overfilled and overflowing with that love, and we, it has to pour out of us, and we want to share it with the world. That's, that's kind of the purpose. For, the, for this team, they had to come up with this common purpose to put their egos aside and work together. I remember I was uh, serving for a while at a church in, in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee area. I was fresh out of college. I was a, a, a young pastor. And there was a guy at our church um, named Robert Grisham. And he had, a, he had a construction company. And Robert was going through kind of a hard time because he found, what he found is he kept putting bids out. And this other construction company kept undercutting his bids by like $100. And so they were stealing all of his, his business. And eventually he found out that someone in his office was feeding the bid information to this other company. And so they knew what to do, so they were coming in and undercutting him. And, and he was just really upset and he was struggling, he was going through a hard time. And we had this Habitat for Humanity project coming up. And so I said, hey Robert, why don't you, why don't you take the week off? Put all that stuff aside for a minute and engage in this Habitat project. I think it's going to be a refresher for you. I think it'll help you. Well, he did. He agreed to do that. And we started working on the Habitat project. And by like day two or three, he was a new man. And there was quite a few men and women from our church that were involved in this. And there was a bunch of other people as well. And we were coming together and we were getting to know each other. And we were building relationships. And, and so it was like, I think, night three of this project 
And I was sitting there with Robert, and we were talking to this guy, Bill, and we were trying to get to know Bill, and he was a really good guy. We had enjoyed working with him. I said, Bill, what do you do? I'm in construction. Oh, really? Whereabouts? Oh, you know, here in the Chattanooga area. Oh, what company do you work for? Well, I own X company. It was the company that was stealing all of Robert's work. I remember looking at his face, and I thought he was going to hit Bill right then. And I put my hand on Robert's shoulder like, am I going to have to break up a fight here? What's going to go on? And then I saw his face change. And Robert, Robert shared his heart to Bill. And he told him what had been happening. He told him how much he was struggling. And Bill broke down. And they shook hands. And Bill said, I, we won't do that anymore. I'm so sorry. He's like, we were struggling before this. And, and they, they became fast friends and allies. Why? Because they had this common purpose in this Habitat project. They were coming to help people. And that, that broke down walls and barriers. And all of a sudden, they were friends. And see, that's what happens when we unite and we become part of this common purpose as a church, as a body. That we look and we say, we each have a role here. We all want to serve. We've got this goal. We've got this purpose. We work together. And what happens is it, it bonds us. Two weeks from today, we're going to go out in the community. That's what we're going to do. All over here, right in the neighborhood, up in Lantana. Out in West Boca. We've got a project with one of our ECS teachers who's a widow who can't keep up with the yard work. We've got all kinds of different options. We're going to go and work as a team and serve the community, serve the body of Christ. And we do that. It's a beautiful thing. It's something that is beautiful to God and I believe honors Him. Going back to the text, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each to the interests of others. This is not our natural tendency, right? And I imagine this was probably one of the hardest parts for the dream team. This team comes together. Each one of these guys was a superstar by his own right. Every single one of these guys was probably the best player on their own team. Probably not Scottie Pippen. He had this other guy named Michael Jordan on his team. But, and actually, Carl Malone and John Stockton were on the same team too. But anyways, everyone else was the star of their team. They're used to being the guy. And they had to figure out how to come together. They had to learn to value other team members. And when they do that, and when we do that in the church, it's a beautiful thing. It's a mind, it's a mind shift change though. It's, it's a radical departure. You know, I say it all the time. Our default setting is selfishness. The Bible talks about our sin nature all the time, right? The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things who can know it. There is no one righteous, no, not one. No one seeks God. We're corrupt. Our deeds are vile. Our best deeds are but filthy rags to God, right? Our default setting is sin. It's selfishness. But what happens is God starts doing this work in our lives and changes us and makes us a little bit and a little bit and a little bit more like Him. And all of a sudden now, we're not quite so selfish, but we have opportunities to value others. And Paul is reminding us of this truth. I love, um, there's a famous British pastor. 
His name is William Archibald Spooner. And kind of, he was a great uh, preacher, but he often would, would kind of have this problem where he would flip consonants back and forth. And so he'd be trying to say something, and he would say something totally different. So for example, here's, here's, here's a few examples from sermons he did. One sermon he was trying to say, one fell swoop. And he said, one swell foop. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Shane. All right. Another time he was trying to say pouring rain, and instead it came out roaring pain. Right? And then one time he was talking about a story in a time when he was actually studying Scripture. And he had Scripture on these cards, and he was trying to memorize Scripture. And he was telling a story, and he said, So I was going to try to review my verses. And what came out was, I was going to try to reverse my views. And he caught himself that time. He actually caught himself. And then he thought about it for a minute and he said, No, I'm not wrong. Because that's exactly what Scripture does, right? Scripture reverses our views, our natural default setting of selfishness. When we dig into the Word of God, when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, it reverses our views. And no longer are we focused on selfishness, but like this Scripture, we're not looking to our own interests, but the interests of others. And so we value our other team members. We value each other and we look to serve each other. We serve for the good of the team, for the goals of the team. I was, I was mentioning in the first service, and I, you know, I'll say it again, you know, for those people that are watching online, right, you come and you'll see myself or Pastor Andy or Pastor Shane up here. You'll see our awesome worship team or at the 9 o'clock service, maybe hear our choir. But no one would ever ever see any of that without the tireless work of Kathy Thorla. Ever. Yeah. I mean, every week. It, it, the only reason it's up there is because Kathy puts it up there. I don't know how to do that. I just talk. Usually I don't even know what I'm going to say. Right? And I'm just up here talking, but she makes it all happen and she's got to, you know, the Schneider family's up there faithfully serving almost every week and and they're serving all day yesterday too. And it's, it's this amazing thing is so much goes on behind the scenes that makes stuff happen. And without that, it doesn't happen. It's just like the dream team, right? They had to put aside their selfish interests, put that aside. The, the irony of that team is probably the most valuable player of the 1992 dream team was Charles Barkley. He probably was like the 10th or 11th best player on that team. But what happened is they all put their selfishness aside and did different roles and different things for this common goal and purpose. And they were looking to build each other up, to serve each other. They were valuing each other for the first time. And the results were amazing. There's a, a high school runner by the name of uh, Tim Knapp. And, excuse me, Tom Knapp. And Tom... Tom was not the best runner. In fact, uh, they ran 5Ks at his high school. And Tom, the coach would always joke with him. He'd say, Tom, you are the best 3K runner on our team. The problem is we run 5Ks. And that was Tom's deal, right? He could go out really fast. He just quite didn't quite have the endurance to finish the race. And so usually at the, at the 3K mark, sometimes even the 4K mark, he's winning. He's doing great. And inevitably he would... 
slow down. He couldn't quite make it. <clears throat> well, it just so happened that their team was really good that year. <clears throat> so the coach pulled Tom aside and said, Tom, I want you to be my pusher. Tom's like, coach, my mom told me not to sell drugs. He said, no, Tom, different kind of pusher, but that's good. He said, I want you to keep doing what you're doing. You push our other guys, our, our runners with a little more stamina, you push them to go out a little faster, a little harder. And it makes them just a little bit better. I want you to keep doing that. In fact, I want you to go even harder. I want you to run 3K, 3.5K as hard as you can. Push our other guys. And so Tom began to embrace that role. Instead of, instead of really trying to see what he could do, he just, he just sort of pushed as hard as he could that far and, and then just kind of trotted home. What he found is it made the other top runners on the team better. And they, they made it to the state championship. And, and there goes Tom. And he pushes and he pushes. He's winning the race. He's winning it. About 3K, he falls off. Two of his teammates go on. They finish first and third. The team wins the championship. One of his teammates wins first place. The other gets third place. Everyone's celebrating. You know, they get to the end of the year. And they're having their award ceremony for the end of the year. And, you know, you know there's Tom and... And, you know, he's, he's, they're giving out the MVP award and, and he's expecting the coach to give it to the first place guy or actually maybe the third place guy because during the season he had actually won more races. And the coach talks about what an honor it was to coach this group of young men and, and how great they did and how they, they were so coachable. And they listened and they said, MVP of our team this year, Tom Knapp. Tom was shocked. I said, Coach, I didn't even finish a couple of the races. The best place I ever got was like seventh. It's like, without you, those other guys wouldn't have been what they could be. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. When we're all serving, when we're all working together, all of a sudden we're better. It's this more beautiful picture. As I said at the beginning, I believe God has you here at Advent for a specific reason. He's gifted and equipped and prepared you for specific things He wants you to do. And we all have a role. We all have an ability to pitch in and contribute. Going back to the text, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. You see, when, when we're part of the team, we, we, we're constantly looking for chances to serve and we're constantly building our teammates up. I've preached on this text before um, here at Advent and um, I've actually talked about my grandmother. And uh, I think one of the first times I ever preached on this text was at her funeral. And, and that was my dad's mom, and uh, that, was, that was her nature. She was a servant. I remember um, doing the funeral service, and I, and, I, and I started reading the text, and I got through the text, and I started to prepare to talk about uh, my grandmother, and I, and I made eye contact with my dad. Note to self, don't ever do that. Oh, that was horrible. I lost it for what felt like about 30 minutes. It was probably more like a minute or 30 seconds, but I finally got composed. And, and I talked about my grandmother, and that was, that was her heart. She was constantly looking for opportunities to serve. 
She was looking for the ability. We tried to find pictures of her for the funeral. It was We almost couldn't because she was always in the kitchen or doing the dishes or doing something else. When, when Sarah and I were um, newly married and our kids were younger, she would come over to the house every day. She would do laundry. Uh, one day... One day I got home, and um, this is when we had a church plant and some coffee shops, and the yard had gotten out of control. It was probably about knee-high, honestly. And I had, like, one of those push mowers, not even self-propelled. And I get home, and um, my, my dad will remember this. My grandmother, I think she only wore one thing. It was, a, it was one of those old-fashioned bathing suits with a skirt. That's all she wore. Church, bathing suit with a skirt. Walmart, bathing suit with a skirt. Working in the yard, bathing suit with a skirt, right? That was her. And she wore these, she wore flip-flops. And she, she kind of walked hunched over. And, and she was, uh, whatever when your toes are out. What is that called? Duck-footed or whatever. She'd walk like this. And I come home. And here she is in my backyard pushing the lawnmower through this knee-high grass. And that was her. Just looking for opportunities to serve. And, and that's, that's what God calls us to. As the body of Christ, we need to be looking for opportunities to serve each other. Looking for chances. We've got to shift our mindset from, from convenience and comfort to sacrifice and service. It really is. It's that mindset. And when we do that, God does amazing things in the body. We're also called to build our teammates up, to build each other up. I, I uh, worked at a church called Perimeter up in Atlanta for a while, and, and I remember we opened, uh, the church built this $20 million student center. It was amazing. And we opened it, and we didn't really know what to expect, and the first night was going to be middle schoolers, and we opened it up, and, and uh, I had like 10 volunteers. I was super excited. I, re- I was new there, and I had recruited 10 people, and I was like all proud of myself. And 400 middle schoolers showed up. That's not a good ratio for middle school students. One to 40, right? Those of you that have middle schoolers or know what they're like, you need to be like one to two or something, right? And, and so, so it was a little overwhelming. And so I, I reached out to the church and I said, man, I don't know what to do. We've got to get more people in here to help. I don't want any babies made on my watch, right? And so this little old lady, Miss Sue, she said, I'll help. I don't know what I can do, but I'll help. And she came every week, every Friday night. She was there from 6 to 10, every Friday night. And she stood there at the entrance. And she greeted every volunteer and thanked them and told them how awesome they were. And she greeted every kid and and told them how awesome they were. And I will tell you without a doubt that every person there's favorite person was Miss Sue. She didn't know what she could do, but, but she simply greeted everyone. She encouraged everyone. She built everyone up. And we all have ways we can contribute to the body. We all have roles we can play on the team. As I said, as I said a few weeks ago when I was talking about community, my role on my high school basketball team was to set picks and foul people. We all have roles we can play. Miss Sue's role was amazing and incredible. And important and invaluable. I want to close with this. Verse 7 8. Jesus, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. You see, I think the last important point for us as a team is that we need to remember the model of the coach. Started off talking about the dream team. And that was kind of a turning point where, where Michael Jordan kind of took over as the best player in the NBA for, for Magic Johnson and others. And many people would say he was the greatest player of all time, but um, kind of famously, uh, as a sophomore in high school, he got cut from his varsity basketball team. He got cut, he didn't make it. And you think, boy, that's un- unbelievable. His coach was uh, named Clifton Pop Herring. And he was a good athlete of his own um, renown, and after practice every day, he would actually stick around the gym, and he would get shots up, and he would work on some ball handling drills and do some stuff, mostly because he loved the game, not like, not like he was going to play you know, professionally or anything anymore. But he would do that, and, and he noticed, he noticed shortly after uh, cuts, Michael Jordan's sophomore year, that often Michael Jordan would stick around in the gym. So one day he called out to him. He said, hey, Jordan, come here. So Michael Jordan came over. He said, you know I'm not putting you on the varsity just because you're here watching me. He said, no, coach, you're just the best basketball player I know, so I want to watch you so I can learn how to get better. That's exactly what Paul is telling us to do with Jesus. The best example we have is Jesus. Paul's calling us to a life where we, we no longer look to our own selfish interests, but we look to serve each other, where we, where we come together, where we're this unified community, and we make this powerful impact. And he says the very best thing you can do is watch the coach, watch Jesus. Follow his example. Jesus, God in the flesh, who humbled himself so much, if anyone deserved To be honored, to be esteemed, to be valued as Jesus, and yet he humbles himself. Looks for opportunities to serve. Shows us that example by washing his disciples' dirty feet. Dies on a cross. To reconcile us to God. That's the example of sacrifice. What if? What if you and I were to follow that example? What if each person here at Advent was to say, how can I serve? What can I do? How can I pitch in? How can I help Advent to better share the love of Christ with a world that desperately needs it? What might God do? What will God do? Amen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Gracious God, you do provide us with this amazing example. Father God, you who deserved all glory and honor and praise, humbled yourself. Took the lowest position, even to the point of dying for us. Father God, may... May we follow that example. May we look not to build ourselves up, not to our own comfort and convenience, but may we look to sacrifice and serve. May we look to see how we can build each other up. May we look 
to see how we can share your love with the world that needs it. By your grace, through your strength, in your name we pray. Amen.